You are listening to Mindset Podcast. If you want to learn more about Mindset or watch the video version, please visit InspiredDigitalStudios.com forward slash Mindset. Mindset is part of the WXPR Community Podcast Project, an initiative to amplify community voices. Mindset is about people. It is raw, and at times may contain content that could be considered triggering. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi, and thank you for joining us on Mindset. My name is Andrew Egan. Today's guest was Brett Winters, rather than a musician, health food junkie, and spiritual warrior. Brett's story teaches us a few things. Trusting yourself to take little bets pays off in a big way. Not only did it help him build the confidence to tackle the challenges that come with being a performing musician, but it also leaked out into other aspects of his life, including his mental health. His commitment to, as he puts it, dare to suck, is a key mindset to have for anybody following their passion path. It allows us to be more compassionate, value ourselves enough to be open and completely honest with ourselves about what needs to change or what doesn't. And with that, we grow creatively, mentally, and emotionally. Brett's journey reminds us that as we heal from life's twists and turns, we find out more about ourselves and develop our own mindset. I'm, uh, I'm Brett Winters, singer-songwriter in the Northwoods of Wisconsin area. And yeah, I, I say my tagline is writing things and plucking strings, and that's pretty much the extent of, of what I do. Where did you grow up? Where did I grow up? I grew up in the Chicagoland area, in a suburb called Deerfield, northeast suburb, and... Yeah, I, I moved there when I was four months old. So used to be in the city of Chicago, downtown. And then, so you moved to like a suburb? Yeah, moved to a suburb. Yep. To get out of the city, you think? Yeah, my parents. So yeah, to get more into my story. So I have two brothers, middle brother and an older brother. Um, oldest brother has low functioning autism. So... My parents, once my parents found that out, they realized that the city of Chicago would not have the educational needs for my brother. So they moved to the suburbs to find a program for him that would fit him better. And so a lot of my early years were, I guess you could say, um, I would say it was a normal, a fairly normal suburban upbringing, except for the fact that my brother has autism. So he had to have all of this extra help. And he, a therapist would come in every week and basically train his brain. And yeah, I think 
from that, and my, my middle brother is, is more the outspoken one. I'm more the introverted one. And I think as a result, I subconsciously acquired this conditioning that my needs are not as important as theirs. My perspective is not as important as theirs. And so my way of managing that was really just focusing on things rather than people, focusing on getting good grades, and which I did, and, and focusing on schoolwork. But on top of that, starting in third grade, you know, this author came in and was doing a seminar on his craft, on his writing craft, and what it's like to be an author. And then in there I realized, that's what I want to do. I want to be a writer. I want to grow up. And so that was kind of what I, when I started my journey of writing short stories, writing fiction, writing even comic strips and board games. Like I would make board games in my room. And that was my way of managing, I think, that emotional hardship that I didn't even realize perhaps I had. That kind of that sense of emptiness and I didn't know how to fill it up. So I filled it up with stories and, you know, I had some friends here and there, but I was also bullied quite a bit in school and I was made fun of um, for various things, you know, being short and everything like that, but also being sensitive. And that's something, you know, you add, you have a question in there about your greatest strength. And for a long time, I thought my sensitivity was my greatest weakness and something like the bane of my existence, honestly, because it, it got a lot of disapproval from people. And I think, you know, growing up, I, I felt very deeply. I cried a lot over things. And um, I think as a, as a man, being that way is kind of tough. You know, it's, it's a bit easier, I would say, in a, a more female perspective. But as a man, when you're enculturated into this message of, of don't cry and, and man up and buck up and all these sorts of tropes, for someone who's very sensitive, it's very hard to do that. And so I was constantly trying to measure up to these cultural expectations that I couldn't quite fit into. But what I realized now is that I am using my sensitivity to my advantage. Something I've learned in my journey in regards to sensitivity or other things that I've been ashamed of perhaps or that I've looked down on is that those things can be our greatest strengths if we let them, if we allow them to be there, if we embrace them. So in regards to my journey with, with college, I ended up actually pivoting. I stopped writing stories in high school, and I switched over to music as kind of an outlet for that self-expression. And music is an avenue for self-expression. But then on top of that, I took an AP bio class and I realized, I think I want to major in science. And I was very interested in epigenetics in particular. And so I, I ended up being a biology major at UW-Madison 
with a pre-research track and I was working in some labs. There was an agronomy lab I worked in. There was a stem cell lab that I worked in. And during that time, I had a friend named Paul. And Paul was really struggling. He was having a hard time. And long story short, he ended up taking his life. And that was the catalyst for me, more than anything else, towards this journey of self-discovery and creativity and, and, and getting to where I am now. I would not be where I am now and who I am without that happening. And it was a really tragic thing and I felt responsible for it for a long time. I felt like, like it was my fault to a certain degree and no matter how many people tried to convince me otherwise, it was, yeah, it just stuck with me that the survivor guilt, that this was my, my doing in a sense. So after that, two weeks later, I started writing songs and I used songwriting as a way to process, process the grief of that experience. And then after that, I, I graduated early. I realized I didn't want to be a, a researcher. I was just, this is not something for me. And I started exploring, I started traveling around, I started writing more songs and getting more into that, performing more. And I found myself here after eight years, eight years later, here I am doing the same thing. I'm still writing music, I'm still producing, still playing around. And I've kind of made this my vocation. So. When your friend took his life, did it kind of wake something up and you realized that you didn't want to research anymore and you wanted to follow your music? Yeah, yeah. I remember like maybe three days after it happened, I was back in the lab and I was looking out the window and I thought, this is not where I should be right now. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I just know it. In my heart, I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but this is not it. And after his passing, I really, I spiraled. I spiraled downwards. I, most of my deepest struggles were, were in my head, were the mental health struggles. And dealing with not just what happened with him, but, you know, childhood kind of caught up to me and all those limiting beliefs and those things telling me that I was not good enough, that my needs don't deserve to be met, that I'm not important, I'm not valuable as a person, all those things started to come up. And I had to wrestle with those for a long time in my explorations. And those were definitely my biggest challenges, but they also were a crucible for me to, to something uh, much deeper and more profound than anything I ever imagined. You know, so much of the self-help world is like, you know, positive focus, positive thinking, you know, um, affirmations, just really kind of harping on that, like, I like myself, I like, and saying stuff like that over and over again. And I tried that for so long, and I realized I was 
Can I swear? Yeah. Okay. I realized I was bull myself. First and foremost, I, I realized that I didn't actually believe in what I was saying. And they kept saying, oh, affirmations, if you say it enough, you'll believe in it. And no matter how much I said it, I, I, didn't, I didn't really appreciate who I was at the time. And that's, that was a huge insight on my journey, is realizing that honesty is so key. And just being honest with yourself and honest, not yeah, not just with other people, but with yourself about what you're feeling too. Because the truth was, I was not okay. I was not feeling okay. I was really struggling mentally. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was all sorts of things. And definitely in a spiraling place. And I think what really was the first step in getting out of that was the first step in getting out of that was self-compassion. And even before that was being honest about the fact that I couldn't be compassionate towards myself and couldn't be loving towards myself. You know, there's so much talk too about self-love and self-care and bubble baths and you know essential oils spraying and whatever but i find that self-love really the rubber hits the road with self-love when you are face to face with parts of yourself that you really don't like or that you really things that you don't want to feel and you allow yourself to admit that you don't want to feel it and then that's one step closer to feeling those things and moving through some of those deeper layers, those aspects of yourself that maybe you've repressed for a long time and that need to be expressed in some way, shape or form. You know, it's the essence of what's called shadow work. And I think that was such an important foundation for the compassion to come in and to say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that any of this has happened. Your life has turned out the way it has, but it's also your responsibility from here on out to move forward to really work with what you have. And so that's what I was doing essentially, is working with what I had. And having those tools brought me to this place of realization where I recognize that the challenges are never gonna go away. It's just a matter of how I relate to them and my relationship with them. Can, do I believe that I can handle them as they come up? Do I believe that I can handle the disappointment, the frustration, the envy, the jealousy, the even hatred sometimes, self-hatred, the like joy even? Sometimes we inhibit our own joys. Can I handle all of that when it comes up? And I think having that as a foundation has allowed me to get to this place, to get past those dips because there are dips in the journey in any sort of creative journey anyone has a passion you know it's like a marriage it's like you commit to it and you know you say the vows and all of that but then there are those valleys where it's like ah, shit, it just sucks sometimes and the the key is with that is can i 
handle those valleys? Do I want this enough to handle those valleys? And I mean, that's everyone's journey is different. So I, I can't say, you know, how the people listening to this are, are going to relate to that. But I don't know, for my journey, it was definitely, it's definitely been, there's no roses and butterflies. And it's, the, the roses and butterflies part is being able to see how I've unfolded in my songwriting abilities over the past eight years and seeing how much I've improved and also seeing what comes out of me because most of the time when I am writing songs, I don't know what the heck is going to come out. It's usually just an outpouring of some sort of subconscious thing that then my conscious mind edits. And that's important to have both on board. But in order to have your subconscious on board, you know, Jonathan Haidt, a psychologist, he talks about the rider and the elephant analogy and how your subconscious is like an elephant and your conscious mind is like a rider and you are riding that elephant and you think you're in control of the elephant, but the elephant just goes wherever it wants to go. And I think getting the elephant on board with the conscious mind, with the rider, involves the rider getting on board with the elephant and really being compassionate and loving towards that elephant because perhaps it's been conditioned in a way where it's rampaging about and instead of trying to whip it into shape, instead try to have compassion for it and let it do its thing for a while and it will start to settle down. So that's what I've found in my journey. Of course, then you reach a certain point where the affirmations, where that stuff actually can come in handy. So what happened in your like early teens, like after you discovered that music was going to be it, mm -hmm. then kind of what happened? Sure, yeah. Actually, what happened in my early teens was I started losing interest in writing stories. But on top of that, I had a performance. You know, I was playing guitar at the time, and I it felt like a lock and key for me. It felt like something that I really enjoyed genuinely. And I started that in fifth grade, and I stopped in seventh grade because I performed in front of a bunch of people, and I was messing up, and I was super shy at the time, and it was just too much. It was too much for me to handle. I ended up quitting guitar after that. And that's when I joined choir. You quit? Yeah. Upon my mom's behest, she made me join choir in high school. And I am so grateful she made me do that because that allowed me to indulge in my, you know, my musical needs, I guess. But yeah, I quit guitar for like a good eight years. I, I really, I hardly played at all. And... It was something that I was running away from. And that's, that's another thing too, is that when death comes knocking on your door in some way, shape or form, and I don't mean death in like, like it can mean death of a loved one or death of someone you care about, but it could also mean your own mortality. You come face to face with your own mortality in some way, you have a wake up call. You realize life is so short to, to be living a life less than 
your own authentic desires and your own authentic drives. And that's a really hard place to be because usually what happens is it takes a lot of pain to get to the place where you finally succumb to your authenticity. The, when the pain of staying in your old life and staying in your old ways supersedes the pain of starting to live your life in alignment with who you are and what you want, that's when things start to roll. And for me, Paul... And that and his suicide was really the catalyst for that for me. So two weeks after that it was when I started, I picked up the guitar again. It was kind of dusty in the closet and I pulled it out and I just started playing again. The and same guitar? The same guitar that I had eight years ago. It was collecting dust. It was actually under the bed. Um, <laughs> my parents put it under the bed and when I had come home from college, I think it was in the summertime. I think, yeah, it was after, after his suicide, I went and stayed up north here with my parents for a while to just recover from everything. And that's when I saw the guitar underneath the bed and I picked it up and I started playing it again. And it was, um, it was a really tough time. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a really hard time for me. And, you know, my journey has been just as much a healing journey as it has been a journey in creativity and authenticity and authentic expression. And I think something that really helped me to, I should mention this, along with, you know, the shadow work and the being honest with myself about my feelings and where I'm at and just learning to embrace my humanness and learning to just work with the tools at my current disposal and with who I was in those times. On top of that was an important foundation was feeding myself with nourishing foods, like really good food. Um, everyone has a different definition of what's healthy for them or what's clean for them and of course, you know, that definition changes over time too. In my journey, what I've found is that really focusing on fruits, vegetables, wild foods, herbs, leafy greens, things that are close to the earth is very important for me to have that foundation. I've noticed just how much, after a while, I noticed how much my cognition and my mental state was affected by what I ate and what I put in my body. And so eating more fruits and veggies and leafy greens and things like that. Also juicing was really powerful for me, blending smoothies and doing that every day. And the habit of it as well really helped and train my brain. And it was a declaration of, I'm gonna take care of myself. You know, I care about myself, I value myself enough that I'm going to feed myself good nourishing food because I believe that doing that will allow me to express myself better, will allow me to be the best version of myself. And so, yeah, after all of my explorations, I've found in particular the medical medium protocols to be extremely helpful on my journey. They're super customizable and, you know, they... 
you can actually resolve symptoms through the path of diets, through simply changing what you eat, you can actually change your mental state. And what I found is that so much of my depression, my anxiety, my mental health struggles were healed in part from juicing, from doing all the things that medical medium recommends. So I, I definitely vouch for him and, and what he advocates for in regards to, you know, health and eating and all of that stuff. So that's, that's essentially been my journey up to this point. It's just been a journey of um, an inward journey more than anything else, which I suppose, you know, so many people say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. It's such a trope these days. But you know what? It's a trope for a reason because it's, it's a real thing, you know. Learning to embrace. It's not to say that you shouldn't embrace the outcomes and celebrate your wins, but it's to say that, you know, you can also celebrate your losses. You can celebrate your struggles because they've brought you up to this point. And you can also celebrate, you know, the process itself. And that is living, in essence. So, when you, you said that in, I think, it, I think you said seventh grade, you put the guitar down mm -hmm. because you were messing up. When, so, you're touring, you like do shows and stuff now. When you first played another show, how did you approach that? Were you, did you have that same nervous energy? The nerves, they never really went away. When I started performing in front of people, I was doing open mics and stuff. It was like 2014, 2015, and I was so nervous. I was reliving all of those feelings, the sweaty hands and the like the shakiness, the, the adrenaline rush that I had in seventh grade when I had that one performance and I quit. All that came up again. And this time around, I dealt with it in limited doses, in small doses. I could do open mics. I was comfortable enough to do small open mics in front of a select few people. Even then it was hard and I messed up like crazy. And I flubbed so much. I was so embarrassed after all these performances and life went on. People forgot about it. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the beautiful part about open mics and about little bets like that is that if you mess up, the repercussions are going to be pretty small. And so I got used to that. I got used to the messing up part. And I realized that a lot of people just don't care. They just don't care about that. They don't notice. They don't care. They want to see a human performance. They want to see a human being human and connect with that. And so the more I've performed throughout the years, and I started performing live, 
really around here in, I believe it was 2018. And when I started doing that, you know, of course I was nervous as heck, but I started bringing more of my humanness out. And I think people appreciate that the most. They appreciate, they don't care as much about, okay, this person's a little sharp or this person's singing a little flat. Yeah, that's going to happen because it's human to mess up and it's human to just have a raw performance. And I think my job as a musician is to display those undercurrents that people feel throughout their day, perhaps without even realizing it, and bringing it out and reflecting it back to them so they can connect with those aspects of themselves that they perhaps are not looking at or perhaps don't want to come out, but now they're coming out because the music is bringing it out of them. And I always, I always say feelings are the language of the soul for the most part. There's always exceptions to that, but certain feelings we like to repress because they would otherwise stir up our lives. If we realized that we didn't want to be doing what we were doing in our lives, and we wanted to be doing something else, or if we realized that this particular relationship was not right for us, or this particular job, or this particular you know, way of being was not right for us. It's very uncomfortable to look at that stuff, but there's something about music and there's something about art in general that brings out those aspects of ourselves to look at, but in a way that's very gentle. Sometimes not. Some movies, like I saw The Whale recently with Brendan Fraser, like that movie just blatantly puts everything out on the table for you to look at and you look at I just looking at my life so much in relation to what that character was going through Charlie um, it's like sometimes that happens but I feel like yeah music has the power of doing that and I think a life where people are more in touch with those authentic feelings allows them to cope less with their circumstances, allows them to take the steps to live a life more in alignment with what they want. And as a result, they don't need as many coping mechanisms and as many things to stuff those feelings and to stuff those those repressions and so much of our culture and so much of business in general is geared towards the exploitation of our repressions and exploiting people who don't who are too afraid to live their life in authentic alignment and so they market towards these people coping mechanisms and things to keep them afloat as they live their lukewarm life. Now, that might sound a little harsh, but I fall prey to that as well, just as much. I'm not saying this to like talk down on anyone in any way, 
shape or form because I fall just as much prey to these algorithmic advertisements and to these sorts of things. But so much of that is due to people not really going inward and really sitting with themselves and sitting with what they actually want and actually doing what they want and actually living a life that's true to them. And, you know, I feel like if, if I make more art, the more art that people make, the more that people are able to self-reflect and look into those things that otherwise it's, you know, it can be challenging sometimes to just sit with yourself and to look and to journal or to have solitude. But it's a little easier when you have someone else reflecting back that I've been through the same things. I've felt through all of this and I'm expressing this as a way of saying, I see you as well. This is my way of trying to bridge a gap to you to wake up and to really have a reality check and see if this is the life you want to live. And if not, what's holding you back? If somebody has just barely cracked that where they're looking at that those uncomfortable authentic feelings and they're they're wanting to take action there that's a very terrifying time what advice could you give somebody who's looking to break into a passion or really just be honest with mm-hmm. themselves and they're like right at that point what what would you say to somebody i would say reach out for help that doesn't have to mean an actual person, though it could mean, and it oftentimes means, reaching out to someone who has gone down the path that you want to go down and asking them about it. Because sometimes the idea of something is very different from the reality of something. And we think we want certain things, but then when we end up doing them, we realize it's not entirely the thing that we wanted after all, that there's something deeper. On this musical journey, what I've realized is that I like studio work as much as performing. And that's that's been a tough pill to swallow for me. But yeah, ideas versus reality. So pay attention to that when you're reaching out for help. And someone is like a mentor of sorts is helping you out. I would also say if you are struggling mentally, like just psychologically you're in a lot of pain and emotional pain, there's no shame in reaching out to a therapist, to some sort of help in that kind of way. Because I found that mental health struggles also come with insecure attachment issues or just attachment issues in general, and having a therapist provides you with a secure attachment that you can come to and you can express things that maybe you've expressed in the past to people who have said, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way, or oh, like, why, come on, just just snap out of it. Um, 
and, and therapists kind of give you that validation and that acceptance that you can bring all of this stuff to the table so you don't have to face it alone. On top of just people though, when they say reach out for help, that means books too. There are so many, you know, when I, I was in a place where I didn't feel like I could trust anyone with my feelings, with sharing what I was feeling. And that is a very hard, lonesome place to be. But I had books. I had so many books. I was reading like crazy. And a lot of these books were my therapy, in a sense. They, you know, they were stories about people who have gone through similar things. There were tips and tricks. There were mindsets. There were voices that I wish I had heard in the past that I was reading through. And it was very healing for me to go to books because I didn't, books don't disapprove of you. They don't reflect anything back to you other than the content within them. And I needed that for a long time. So if you're really struggling, I'd say go for books, go for YouTube videos and like emotional support videos, things like that. And then when it comes to the journey itself, I would say nose to the grindstone. <laughs> like there's, there's no other way to put it. When it comes to you want to be something, you have to put in the, the hours to do it. You know, people say 10,000 hours. It's probably more like 20,000 or 40,000. I'm, I'm not exaggerating too. It's, it's a commitment. It's something that you come back to every week creating and daring to suck too is something that my friend, my good friend, Krista Detour out and she's a musician herself out in Indiana. She told me one time, she's a mentor of mine. She told me, dare to suck. And that stuck with me because I am such a perfectionist and I want everything to be just perfect when I create it. And the thing is, when you start out, it's never going to be that way. The first story you write, the first movie you produce, the first novel you write, the first song you write, it's not going to be good. And I look back on 80% of the songs that I've written, I have scrapped because to me, they are crap. They are just crap. I'm sorry. I don't resonate with them. I don't think they flow very well. I don't think they're, they're just not good songs. And the way I performed them was not great either. I've scrapped them. But I'm grateful for writing those songs because they've brought me to the 20% of songs that are like, wow, okay, I didn't realize I had this in me. But here I am writing all this, this good, these good songs. They're good to me. And, and that's the key too. Another thing is really learning to appreciate your own work and doing it for you more so than doing it for other people. Of course, there's going to be the aspect of wanting to connect with an audience. And that's definitely a part of the creative process is having the audience as a soundboard to your creative process. But 
learning to just appreciate your own creativity and your own creative abilities is more than half the, the journey. Like I would not be doing what I'm doing if, if I didn't enjoy it so much. I thought, I had this thought experiment um, a while back and I thought of like, if, if you were the last person on earth, I asked myself, if you were the last person on earth, what would you do? What would you be doing? And would you change anything in your life? And I thought to myself, if I were the last person on earth, I would still be writing music because I just love it so much. It's just like, it's an activity that, it's a test. It's like an own personal challenge. Like, can I write my own good song, good quality song? And yeah, I think just having that element of this, I'm doing this for me and, sorry, I'm, I'm doing this for me is a very important thing um, on the journey. And in regards to, yeah, so reaching out to help for help in the forms of therapist, mentor, friends, family, that sort of thing, but also reaching out for help through books. You know, books are such a resource and it's, they're becoming more and more obsolete as the algorithms pull us in more and more with their attention grabbing, scrolling, popping headlines and things like that. But really learning to appreciate books again is something that really helped me on my journey as well. So. Okay, and lastly, where can we find you on, online if somebody is watching this? You, you have Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I am most active on Instagram, I would say. I am on spot. Hmm? What do you search? Oh, look up uh, Brett Winters. Look up Brett Winters on Spotify, on Apple Music, all the streaming platforms. You'll find a lot of stuff. I've, I just built a studio, and I've yet to produce a lot of the songs that I'm really proud of, about. So... Um, stay tuned for that stuff because it's, it's going to be coming out fairly soon. And yeah, I'm just going to keep on keeping on with this journey. It's been fun. It's been a wild ride. And it's been extremely fulfilling too and very healing in its own ways. So I'll do one more. Let's do one more. Settle down, I'm right in front of me I'll be regarding my own taxonomy With a cut to the chase, I try to make my flower bloom I'm thinking most of the time, I want the time to happen soon Solid ground is right in front of me I'm gonna trust in my own autonomy Some of the angels leave a sign in the waiting room 
You're saying most of the time the time will come when it's ready to Foreign and foreign so no one in the core of me It's the sum of a life I can feel but I cannot see Come out of hiding you holy I wanna bathe in you so Homeward bound, you're right in front of me I'll be discarded in my own taxonomy And under all of the ways I try to make that flower bloom I'm thinking most of the time I'll never know what it's coming to Shaky ground has left me wondering whether I'm gonna trust when I'm low-key stumbling Whether all of the lies that people tell me are they really true I'm thinking most of the time the truth will come when it's ready to Foreign and foreign, unknown in the core of me Is the sum of a life I can feel but I cannot see Come out of hiding you holy. I wanna bathe in you so If you or anyone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, we strongly encourage you to reach out to the helpline. Call or text at 988. This podcast was produced through the WXPR Community Podcasting Project. The opinions expressed are solely the podcast producers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of WXPR, its staff, volunteers, board of directors, or its affiliates.